0: My name's Connor Byrne, I am the host of That's What I Call Marketing. Uh, it is the podcast where you will hear from the leading light in the marketing world and listen to their unique stories. And today is slightly different in that we are recording uh, live at the European Sponsorship Association event. I'm delighted to have as my guest today, Aidan McLaughlin. Uh, Aidan is director of ESG Brand at Indeed. So welcome Aidan.
1: Thank you. Thank you all for staying for our final session. We
0: appreciate (laughs) it. Before we get going, Aidan, can you just explain to everybody what is director of ESG brand at Indeed? What do you do? Uh,
1: Well, uh, ESG is environment, social and governance. Uh, And so my work at Indeed now is trying to infuse our ESG commitments uh, that Indeed has made uh, into how we show up as a brand. And so specifically focused on the social impact goal of helping 30 million job seekers with barriers get hired by 2030, specifically in the area of people with criminal records, uh, people with disabilities, uh, people without college degrees, and veterans. Uh, so it's, it's ensuring that those goals and those ambitions are realised in how we show up in our, in our brand work.
0: And tell, I guess, tell those stories in, in, in a meaningful way that engage with right that you, the the, you empathizing
1: with with um, job seekers who face those barriers but also educating employers to the the need and the talent that exists within those groups that have those barriers and so it's incredibly um inspiring work and, and I'm learning every day and that's what's what's so great about doing that piece of the work
0: yeah and so I want to talk to you obviously about the sponsorships that indeed have been involved but one in particular that you've been involved with since the very start is rising voices we have a short video which will give a bit of context and we can talk about it
1: i'm most excited about that moment where i get to say action so many people have talent, but they just don't have the resources to demonstrate
0: that talent.
1: Of all the places where bias and barriers exist, Hollywood has been an incredibly insular industry for as long as it's been around. And we're trying to give a vision for what the future face of Hollywood might look like. Okay, last looks, last looks. We're rolling on this. Okay. Okay. Take one, Mark. I can. Filmmakers need money. They need money to make movies. They need money to pay people. They need money to survive. We're grateful to Indeed for putting that money where their mouths are.
0: We're united by this theme of the future of work and what that means to us. We haven't really examined work since the Industrial Revolution. Now, because of the pandemic, honestly, we've learned new ways of working. Cut. That
1: felt good. That felt (laughs) really good. Through Rising Voices, Indeed has learned that while we believe that talent is universal and opportunity is not, it only takes a little bit of an opportunity to really change a person's life. Indeed helps people get jobs, and I think one of the things that we really conceived the program around was making sure that our filmmakers were getting jobs after this program. This being an opportunity for us to become somebody who can give opportunity to other people. Not only is there this incredible budget, but there's also an incredible community
0: and infrastructure. Being a part of Rising Voices means doing this journey not quite so alone. The biggest takeaway from the program is how important it is to build our community to tell our stories.
1: We can't see the world clearly until we see it through everyone's eyes, and we have not seen it through everyone's eyes yet. that a wrap, people! Woo! We got it! Alright. Okay,
0: let's back it up. I mean, I think it's amazing, and I think it's in the third. That's the third year of Rising Voices. Yeah. Go back. What? What was the start of Rising Voices? Like, what was the business challenge that? that you were trying to address?
1: So if you go back to the beginning of, of Rising Voices, it, it emerged in a response to the Black Lives Matter movement and the George Floyd uh, murder. Uh, and indeed, had to look at itself and figure out, what were we, how were we showing up in that moment? And was there real equity in how we were doing our marketing was one of the areas we looked at. And so our CEO, Chris Himes, I was working with him on a separate project at the time, uh, and he set that challenge to look at, are we as diverse behind the lens as in front of the lens, and how are we showing up in terms of representation? Uh, and then he had this idea we would take what we would give to a budget for a TV ad, which is around about a million dollars, uh, and give 30 BIPOC creators $25,000 each. If oh, my math is right there. Essentially, <laughs> like a smaller budget. Uh, and then out of that would become an amazing ad, right? Uh, and when we were thinking about putting that project together, we realized we had to have credibility. So we had to work right. with a celebrity who was a writer and a creator to also to check, are we putting this program together correctly? Yeah. And that's where we met Lena Waithe, uh, who you saw in, in that video talk about um, people's stories. And she's this incredible writer, actor, Producer, you might. she was on Ready Player One, she was acted in that, yeah. Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One, she uh, writes and produces The Shy for Netflix, Queen and Slim is a film that she wrote, which is just this beautiful piece of writing, and she produced that film. And so we met with her, and we, we talked to a few other, I can't name the people, who yeah. asked for crazy money or didn't believe in the project, but Lena was like, okay, we want to do this, but if we want to do it, you have to do it entirely differently. We were thinking it through the lens of equity, and she was saying, you're going to give BIPOC creators a smaller amount of money to produce something to compete with an established director's million dollars. That's not going to work. Right. right. And so she said, I will do this, and my production company, Hillman Grad, and their mission is protest art. We will do it if you reduce the numbers down to 10 and give each director $100,000 dollars. Because that is a career-accelerating amount of money. You produce the work, but also you show you can manage a budget. You can pay your cast and crew. You can pay your suppliers the right amount of money. And so, so she said that. And my CEO was on the call at the same time. He's like, "Okay,
0: let's do it." Incredible. I, I mean, I, it, it is fascinating for me. This is a—it's a sponsorship that, that's kind of rare in that it's not a rights holder's. Piece, you're not buying into something. It was, mm-hmm. it was a creation of something. Did that well, make it, ho- okay. Well, uh, no, no, sponsors, <laughs> no, because once, you ha- once we had the
1: program set up when we said, okay, we've got a production company, we know the amount of money, we're gonna ask, the, we're gonna ask for scripts around the meaning of work. What quickly became apparent is we had to have a sponsorship to back this up, because we had to have some place, some platform to demonstrate the films, to show the films, to get an audience for the films. Uh, And what's really meaningful in in, in a career of a filmmaker is their first festival run. So that was the next job was, how do we find a film partner, a sponsorship that will work for the program? And it was in the middle of, when we (laughs) launched, the other thing that happened in 2020 was COVID hit. (laughs) So there was no festivals. Uh, and there was no productions happening. I was
0: going to say, like filming... Yeah, so we had, to, we had to get
1: more budget for COVID compliance. We gave each director an extra $25,000 to make sure that the sets were protected. They had masks, they had PPE, all of that. Um, but what happened then was Tribeca Film Festival had changed. They usually show their film... Uh, the, the film festival happens in April, and because of COVID, they moved it back to June. So we were like, okay, and the, I'm going long on this, but no, no. <laughs> Tribeca was perfect because if you know the history of Tribeca, that film festival was started by Robert De Niro and Jane Rosenthal as a response to 9-11. So it was to regenerate the economy of New York after a crisis. And suddenly now we've, Tribeca has moved, the pandemic has happened. We're going to get on board with them as a brand because they stand for a response yeah. to a crisis. And so we were responding to a crisis, we, we've made these films, they're all about the meaning of work, about community, about empowerment, and so that, that's where sponsorship was actually fundamental. The other thing, the, the great thing about having a, the right sponsor was it gave us a timeline to hit for making the films, because otherwise you could, the thing could drag on, you wouldn't yeah. have targets, it could slip, people were more creative control, but we knew, okay, and we had a crazy timeline, we, we opened for applications in February, and we show 10 short films at Tribeca in June, yeah. <laughs> which is that's like, not, not insane, not yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. So, but I, do, I wanna go back though to the, to the cr- almost the creating something, mm-hmm. right? So for a brand like, you know, indeed or many brands, kind of the idea of actually going out and actually starting from, from scratch and creating a whole new thing as a way to, to sh- for your brand to show up in the world is, is challenging, I think, in some ways, but it might be freeing as well. Like what, for you, from your perspective, which, which of it was it more of? Was it more challenging or more freeing that you weren't kind of restricted? Mm. Uh,
1: I would say... Uh, the f- yeah, the first year was horrible I was, <laughs> in terms of putting the thing together because you were trying to figure all this stuff out and suddenly yeah. all this stuff they had, like music licensing and working with unions and work, and the COVID thing happening and your production team are, are going down with COVID. Like Our two producers from 271 Films, there's these two incredible... Uh, sisters from Mexico City that now live in Las Vegas. Both of them got COVID as they were line producing all the films. So, like, like all of these challenges were emerging. But what happened, I think, first of all, the purpose of the program came through so strongly. Everyone, indeed, got on board and believed in it. Our partners believed in it. Lena believed in it. Tribeca believed in it. And the will to make it work overcame all of those challenges. I think that was the, like, we could not have done any of this like indeed is the tiniest part of this whole thing, like we put the program together, but Hillman Grad, Lena Waith 271 Films, Tribeca, the filmmakers themselves, like to actually get 10 films onto the screen in Tribeca was a miracle. And yeah. now we've had 30 films onto the screen, which is another miracle. But it was powered by those people who were empowered to bring real art to the screen. And that's the most amazing thing of this. And it is, again, it's like, if you find the right partners, if they all agree that the mission and the vision is connected, then some amazing things. And I, I you know, like the Giro d'Italia whoop was a, a great example of that as well. It's like an of everything we've yeah. seen today is like, it works when the partners, the rights holders, the brand, if they all believe in the vision, yeah. and then things like a pandemic hitting, <laughs> which could be used as an excuse. If things aren't working, you know, you can drop
0: and say, it's, it's too much hassle. Yeah. The, the I always get that one wrong, uh, it, of, of it as a, as a program and the kind of connecting to the, the future of work, I think, again, is probably something that, that, that helps it as well, that it feels very authentic. But how, how have you ensured that the brand doesn't get lost in, yeah. in the whole thing?
1: Well, I think it, it, it's a number of things. It's ensuring that yeah, we have branding on everything, except that it's, it's seen. So we, we talk about it seeing the brand through the Rising Voices lens, so it shows up artful, Anyone we hire to work on the project has to be from the BIPOC community, whether it's, whether it's creating copy for the assets, whether it's creating new visuals, posters for the films, anything. They have to be. We have to work with um, BIPOC agencies. And so that, so that consistency comes through. And then re- really the power of the program, why we're in our third season, is you know, we started with this idea that if uh, talent is universal, opportunity is not what happens when you give talent opportunity that haven't had it before. If you think about Hollywood, uh, in 2022, the top 100 grossing English language films, only 20% were directed by BIPOC directors. Um, and only 3% of those are black females. Right. And so the, the industry has been built around who knows who and who can give somebody... And that's that whole discussion about Nepo babies. You've heard that discussion, right? So much. so much of you, you, you see that, and yet there's all this talent that doesn't get picked up. And we are seeing now what's happened with season one directors. Season one directors are uh, Johnson Chang, has just directed an episode of American Boy in Chinese, which has just premiered on Disney Plus. Uh, two of our season one films were picked up by AT&T and given a million dollars to make into feature films. Right. So, like, it is the long tail of opportunity. Suddenly, you're seeing all of these uh, directors who haven't been working in Hollywood now working and then hiring each other. <laughs> and hiring right. the director of photography from a short for their feature or using the location that their short was in San Bernardino to hire that restaurant so it's like that long t- and that's why you know you wouldn't have done it if you if you started off with KPIs immediately yeah yes but suddenly you're I'm, seeing that you know the idea was this vision of what happens when you give opportunity to talent and and, and so when you see that happening over the years the, the brand wants to commit to that i was going to ask
0: you about the, the, yeah. the how you me- are you measuring it? Like what what are the KPIs? I think that's a very good point because if you start with we want to increase consideration or like engagement or whatever, like you're not going to go there. Like that would that is not going to be the well, it the program. We
1: didn't do that in year one. Yeah, <laughs> but it did in in year two. Once we started to figure yeah. out, okay, if we show the trailer and some of the f- shorts in the cinema. It- in, this, in the cinema experience all over the US, that started to work, yeah. moving UIC, When we figured out how to talk about it on YouTube, like less focusing on the films, more focusing on the program, like we had to, get the, we had to dial, the, dial the assets correctly. And now even this season, we're doing a big partnership with the New York Times because the themes of the, of the films themselves are all about the future of work. So it's automation, it's isolation, loneliness, climate change. You can do big editorial pieces about those thematics uh, so, yeah, we, we didn't get it right, season one. Uh, it shouldn't have worked. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, we're iterating on it now, but, but all the time, watching what's happening to the filmmakers, watching what they're saying about us on their social channels, yeah. you know, that, that influence. Other big celebrity directors talking about rising voices, hearing other brands, like the, the Variety magazine said they wouldn't cover a film program, grant program, unless it had the same level of funding as Indeed. So like we're setting benchmarks benchmark. in other ways.
0: Uh, Okay, that, that is interesting. And then for when, like, obviously, the CEO is very heavily involved with it. What when you're talking to him and reporting on it, yeah. you know, obviously the, there's a period. Tribeca, you're just back from. Yeah, we were there last week. They're yeah. just yeah, yeah. just in New York for a week, was it? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you you coming back from that? That's happened. Like, what is the, what is he looking for? Like, what is he asking for in terms of results? Obviously, he's deeply yeah. invested in well, the program, his whole the like
1: Chris's. Belief is about bringing equity into the job market. And this idea that if we can remove the barriers, the old way of thinking, these heuristics that people use to hire talent, that we'll have a better functioning job market. Um, and so Indeed it's built around helping all people get jobs. And so this is just showing, this is giving him a platform to talk about that in a way that's you know, entertaining and has a bit of glamour about it. and gives us lots of opportunity in the press to talk about it. We also have our SVP of ESG Lafon Davis. she speaks at the event she, she looks at all the scripts, so we involve all of the SLT level in the Tribeca event in looking at the films, in showing the films to their to their groups and their departments so we've we've brought it into the organization as part of just what we do every year
0: yeah it's, it, it seems like it is integral, but again that doesn't happen by by chance by accident like what were, were there some kind of Purposeful things you did after year one to make sure that it it didn't get dropped because you know yeah. effectively these things can, can be a one hit wonder and people go look it was good but it wasn't yeah. as good to be hopeful. Well, I think it,
1: um, it and was, it was I think the Beaulies example and, and Irish Life as well. We talked talked about bringing in other departments yeah. in the formulation of the program, and so having Chris, our CEO, as part helping us build it yeah. was really that important. Helps, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> it certainly <laughs> helps. But even having uh, SLT members review scripts, having our Black Inclusion group, our Women l group coming in and helping look at these scripts and saying, do they really hit the, t- the representation mark? And so everybody invested in the success of it at the outset, Yeah, I think, I think helped.
0: And so it's going to show up. You've done Tribeca. It's going to show up uh, New York uh, Times. Yeah. How else are you going to activate against it over the next so
1: we're, coming months? One, well, new this year is bringing in YouTube uh, creators. Okay. Uh, who are interested in some of the subject matter of the films and, and letting them interview the directors, watch the films, and then review the films and see what comes out, <laughs> what comes <laughs> out of that. One of the things we try to do always is scare ourselves completely with how we put these things together. Uh, so I don't know how that'll work out. And then we're doing the screen vision program again. The other thing that is What's great... What's the screen vision Screen vision, program? vision is, sorry, that's cinema.
0: Ah, okay. Big cinema bios. Okay.
1: Yeah, big cinema bios. So will they
0: be... Tra- sorry, trailers? Or it's like one short gets shown before certain movies? So
1: the big buy is the trailer in all of the cinema screenings, and then in certain screenings we are going to show the full short in front of some of the big blockbusters, okay. uh, and so what that does is qualify them for Oscar consideration. If they get a commercial run, you can then apply for an Oscar for the short. Oh, right. And So like last year with four of our shorts were for Oscar. We think we have a great chance with one of the films this year, uh, and so that that helps then. And then the, f- the filmmakers themselves take their films to all the festivals. So like season two and season one, we've had 65 f- festival selections for the shorts that we didn't have to do anything for. That was just part of the okay. will
0: it, showings. Will it extend beyond the States, do you think, at any point? Because surely that's not a, so a we're, unique... This year Hollywood. we're
1: taking it to the Toronto International Film Festival. Okay. Uh, and we plan to, to see where else we can go with it.
0: Do you think, do you think this can replace other things... That indeed does, because it, 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 do- it feels very big, it mm. feels very tied to the things you've talked about as being important for a CEO, but the business and, and kind of making change. Like, do you think other things would be I don't, given up to make sure this keeps keeps running?
1: I mean, I think that that's, so I started off my career in PR, so I always had to think about earning attention. Yeah. Uh, and then I switched into a role indeed on um, storytelling and branded content, which is like, can we make, Film and podcasting, can we make it interesting? Can we earn audience? And now, this is sort of brand funded films, which is kind of a new area. For me, it's about can you create a conversation through the investment in art? And I think we've always wanted to invest in art, I think we need to invest in art, I think we need to hear the marginalized voices. Lena said it there, which is we don't understand the world until we see it through everyone's eyes or hear their stories. And so I think both it's a social good to invest in ours and certainly invest in marginalized voices and, and bring them to the fore. But, but also, if we're not entertaining
0: and yeah,
1: as, and having fun with our brand, like a, a lot of the sponsorship talks today were kind of heavy. Like we have to be curious about the world, seek out... Other perspectives, find the tension, dig into that tension, and follow what our mission is in the brand. And if you can do that, I think these these types of initiatives pay back both in the impact you have on people's lives, the attention that you earn. That when we, we're moving UAC now, we're moving brand pre- okay. brand consideration. We're moving brand preference now. Like we're moving all of those metrics. We're fueling all of our social with the assets we're creating. Yeah. So. But it's hard, (laughs) it's way harder. It is hard and it's a
0: long, like it's kind of a long path to get to something like that. Again, I I keep going back, like you have a CEO who's invested in it. I think that is a game changer. And we we spoke about earlier on with some other people saying, actually making sure the stakeholders are involved is a a huge part. To move off Rising Voices for for a few minutes, indeed have used uh, sponsorships in a couple of other markets for different reasons. I mean, that was a very unique social challenge that I Indeed feel they need to address. Um, one that may, may be known is the Eintracht Frankfurt sponsored in Germ- sponsorship in Germany, which I think might be in its sixth, fifth or sixth year. Mm. Um, yeah. do, you, do you remember going back to when yeah. that started? What was the business challenge that was trying to be addressed with I mean that it was sponsorship? It was
1: awareness, but it also was understanding of Indeed. Uh, and Germans are very proud of Germany. We had a very strong German competitor. Yeah. And so how do you build affinity with the German public? And they just, what emerged from the research is just love football. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) the Bundesliga is the thing. Uh, And so we were looking for partnerships. And I remember meeting uh, the Eintracht team and going back to like partners that understand where you're heading. Like they were super focused on changing football, making it more accessible. You know, every every year during the season, they'd give up their jersey sponsorship to a non-for-profit and so they had a vision for their f- women's team vision for their youth team they were you know really aggressive in sort of clamping down on any sort of racist chanting and any abuse of their players and so they were just the right right fit and they were sort a of mid table team <laughs> you know w- w- what happened is they started winning german cups and qualifying for the champions league <laughs> and that's the magic that happens when you know when you make some of these deals but it, it was really just associating indeed with football and i think that They've, they're continuing to win great uh, plaudits for their
0: branding of Eintracht Frankfurt. Yeah, and, I, so. and I, th- I think you're right. I mean, they d- sometimes you never know if that's going to happen, right? Where you you get that mid-table team, it's a reasonably priced mm. deal, I guess, and right. then you're kind of going, all these things happen, and then you know the team showed up in Europe, and I guess for that one as well as activating that across outside of Germany, then obviously became quite an important important thing. What? What were the kind of things that happened to kind of bring that to life? uh, Maybe in Germany, but also outside of the market.
1: Yeah, I mean, we did everything from sort of uh, the stories of telling the stories of the players and a fan. We knew the Eintracht fan base was so integral to who Eintracht was. We brought fans in for the day. And so it was just like activating against the the core of that brand. Um, And then, you know, they had, uh, we have a, a Japanese operation and there was a, some great Japanese players that went through oh the on-track right, system. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, making sure we activate in the Japanese market against that. So it was just trying to find all of the, the, the synergies around the brand. Yeah, I was talking proposition.
0: to Rita Kirwan about um, some of her work in o- O2 recently for the podcast, and she talked about that, how you make sure you bring all your sponsorship assets together yeah. and, and kind of try to sweat them <laughs> as much as you can. And so that, I think that's a great example. Another one that was slightly different again was the Team Ireland sponsorship, yeah. which was for the last... Games, also COVID hit, does indeed have a... Well, that's one we worked on <laughs> together. <laughs> we did. We, we did. worked we did. on
1: that together. Um, and again, we were trying to find a sponsorship in the Irish market that our employees would be incredibly proud of. And we were th- looking at metrics like retention and, and happiness in, in, in the workplace. And we were positing a couple of different brand propositions. And what came through strongly was it had to be Irish. Uh, and had, uh, sport was one of the things that came up with. and again. I remember the day Peter Sherrard came in to the offices in Indeed, and they were talking about, okay, it was post-Brazil, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and it was like, the, the brand itself wasn't you know, ideal, <laughs> given what had happened, but he came in with this vision for t- a Team Ireland, yeah. which hadn't existed before, all of the sports were separate. Uh, and then he was so uh, focused on the aftercare of the athlete, so he was like, we have to perform at the games, but I care deeply about what happens to the athletes after the games in their careers. You know." And so, again, I was, but just I said yes to it then because it was just like when it was our job to, to make the business say yes. But, again, the story connected. What we were trying to do, our values, our mission, what Team Ireland was trying to do. And I knew then that they'd go above and beyond to help us. Yeah, help us activate against this.
0: An incredible, saw- and I see Alma here, who kind of uh, ran that entire program, you know, incredibly for f- for Team Ireland. And it was difficult because it was during COVID, right. you know, yeah. so the games got extended and, and postponed, and, postponed yeah. and, yeah. and were where they going to happen. And um, th- the last question, sticking to maybe, well, tied maybe, delivered to Olympic Sports. You've you a bit of experience, kind of on the rights holder side, in yeah. a way, in that you're involved with Swim Ireland. How are you with all this experience of sponsorship from? client side when you're in your swim ireland role how do you think about kind of activating and, and getting sponsors for maybe a slightly lesser known sporting organization in in the country
1: Well, it's one of the most participated sports in Ireland. (laughs) It is (laughs) not a small organisation at all, and uh, we're just trying to get the. (laughs) I resent that. Small. We we, we don't have a. We don't. uh, uh, We don't have. uh, So I'm an an independent director on the board of Swim Ireland. We do not have a main sponsor. We had Tesco for a long time, and. And, and we're looking for a, a main sponsor. Not a pitch.
0: <laughs> Not a pitch, but if you do, <laughs> if you want to, please. But it just happens to you. be one of the most. i and getting <laughs> the strategy
1: right, so it's like uh, what we're trying to do from a Swim Ireland point of view is create an, an, uh, an island of, of swimmers. Like we're surrounded by water. We should be all, we're connected to the water in some way. If you dip your toe in the water, you should be a part of Swim Ireland. And also we're trying to bring new ways of giving people access to swimming pools. So I don't know if you've seen, we've got these pop-up pools that are touring the country, which have incredible political uh, sort of action behind them. And if you want to meet counsellors, you care about having influencing um, sort of political- uh, <laughs> Go to a pop-up pool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get involved in the pop-up pools. But I think what, what I've seen on the other side is that it's very difficult for NGBs to understand the assets they have that are available for sponsorship. They think mainline sponsor, it has to just be one, whereas right. you know, something like the pop-up pools i think is a perfect package for a sponsor it doesn't have to be huge but it it could be perfect for somebody who's looking to activate on a regional basis and wants to be connected with such an incredible sport that's massive in ireland (laughs) so you know and so that's the hard work is 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 (laughs) from a rights holder point of view is for a lot of people to understand what rights they actually hold yeah for the ngbs especially
0: but and then i think connecting it back to some of the stuff you talked about indeed is that like the fit and yeah. not necessarily kind of going here's the thing we have here's yeah. the person you are well, that's that what that's together. what happens is yeah.
1: it's like you go to a brand and you take the p- same presentation you've to Live Nation <laughs> yeah. that you gave to Irish Life and they're an entirely different business with entirely different missions and so you know, that, that's the sof- it's, sophistication is the wrong word but it's the storytelling that you need yeah. to bring to each engagement which is how does what you stand for as a brand connect to what we stand for as a brand and then also if you do that work you're going to reduce the amount of people you have to try and pursue and pitch to because it becomes very clear okay they connect or not yeah we're trying to do that work
0: well good luck that um i Aidan, thank you so much for for your time today sharing thank the you. story of rising voices Track team ireland and the most participated sport in ireland officially <laughs> uh, swimming it uh, certainly will be it certainly <laughs> will be uh thank
1: you very much okay thank you so much thank you to so everyone for that that's
0: it for this episode thanks for listening and watching that's what i call marketing if you did enjoy please do share add comments with your feedback you can get in touch and find all previous episodes on that's what i call marketing.com or follow us on instagram on that's what i call marketing on twitter at that's underscore marketing and now you can watch our episodes back on youtube yes you guessed it that's what i call marketing for me connor burn until the next episode thanks for listening for watching take care